Hello, listeners. My name is Aja Monet, and I'm a blues surrealist, poet, and organizer. I am your host for this show, The Sound Bath, a podcast brought to you by Lush Cosmetics, where you'll be hearing conversations that cleanse. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast explores what personal, social, and environmental care and well-being really mean in today's society. This show is designed to be listened to in the bath. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. At the end, stick around for a beautiful, meditative, sonic sound bath. I am thrilled to be able to speak with my godfather and friend and comrade and spiritual advisor and mentor, all things important and valuable in my life. His name is Abi Odun Oyewoli, who is a member of the legendary Last Poets, a poetry group that laid the groundwork for the emergence of hip hop, as well as the Black Arts Movement. I spent many years sitting at the feet of Abi Odun Oyewoli and his stories. He's one of the most profound storytellers I know, and he is a true revolutionary poet. I'm so grateful to have him in conversation with me today, and I know you all will enjoy this conversation as much as I have. (laughs) How you doing? Hi, I miss you. (laughs) I miss you too, baby. (laughs) Pops, as you know, I've known you forever, and I consider you a father in my life. You are my father as far as I'm concerned. And I've also just admired always the sort of poet and thinker and leader and storyteller and figure you've been in the community and Black community and particularly in in Harlem and New York, but in the world at large. And so when I was asked to do a podcast and thinking about people I wanted to have conversations with, you're probably one of the most important and pivotal people in my life that have transformed my worldview. And just, I've always wanted to share you with as many people as possible. So I want to say thank you for joining me on this podcast, on this conversation And I want to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, to please introduce yourself to the listeners, how you would like to be seen in the world or how you identify, what what ways you you like to represent your cool Uh, to the people. Okay. It's always a pleasure just to see you, to talk with you, because you're one of my my favorite people, as Judy and I always say, if we had a daughter, it would have to be you because you definitely represent the values and the love and the, and the heartfelt feelings of life that represented what we always appreciated. And and mm. you continue to be consistent in your efforts. My name is Abio Dun Oyewole, and many people call me Dun be- <laughs> because uh, to say Abio Dun is a mouthful and many of us are not versed in the Yoruba language. I happen to be one of the founding members of The Last Poets. And The Last Poets was a group of poets who actually laid the foundation for what people refer to as hip-hop. We're not hip-hop artists, we're poets, but our style of poetry gave kind of a a platform for many of the hip-hop artists to emerge. And I refer to myself really more as a poet educator. I'm a poet without question, but above and beyond everything else, I love to teach. Teaching is my passion. So that would be a definition of who I am. 
Yeah, you are definitely a teacher. Thank you for that. I always love the role that storytelling in the Black tradition, but definitely in the African tradition, has played in our relationship and in the relationship of so many people's lives who you touched over the years. And you have this open house that you do every weekend. And every time you go up to work with young kids and you perform, I find that stories are so much of how you animate your poetry, how you animate the world around you. And I would argue that storytelling is a part of our wellness practice, is a part of our tradition. And I wanted to ask you what stories or what storytellers did you find pivotal in your life that helped shape your love for storytelling? Well, the one thing I've discovered in recent years is that my mother is a tremendous storyteller. So I think that some of my storytelling must have come through DNA because my my mother, even though she complains and she's still with us at 95 years old, <laughs> she 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 says things like, my memory is, is, is not as good as it used to be. And yet she could sit there and tell us a story of what she did when she was in the third grade and, and, and just go way back in time and um, she gives you the beginning, the middle and the end, and she gives you the setting. I mean, she's just a wonderful storyteller. So I think that some of that stuff I got genetically, but the fact is that there are quite a few poets that I've looked at as great storytellers. I think Langston Hughes was a tremendous storyteller. I mean, he wrote poetry. We know what all poems have a story composite because in order for you to really capture people's imaginations. They want stories to be told. Even if it's only a few lines and we refer to it as poetry, there's a story in those lines. The story gives us a kind of an opening to a world that we wouldn't normally have an opening to. And so I believe that stories are very key in, in the world entirely. I remember when I was at Shaw University, I had two-hour shows on a radio station at Shaw, and my name of my shows were Variations Phase 1, Variations Phase 2. And because I didn't know what I was going to do, so I just called it Variations. So we do, I did a bunch of stuff. But the thing that I did that I appreciated the most was the first hour of my show, I would read 15-minute segments of a book. And the first book I read was Native Son. I, and I, my promo was, if anyone asks you if you've read a book, tell them you have, even though someone is reading to you because I know mm. I know that people would listen and I was basically doing it for the brothers incarcerated in prison in North Carolina because they had their headphones and the only thing that they could connect with in the free world supposedly was through the radio as long as they had their headphones so I knew that they would be getting the message and the guys when I come back to the prison they would always say I can't wait for next week man to know what happened and it next episode of the story. So storytelling is a key part of our lives. I think every human being is captivated by stories. Yeah, wow. I love hearing that. I think there was so much, you know, the movement and the time at which you came up, there was a real concerted effort, obviously, with the Black Arts Movement to instill a certain value system within the people. And I think that is still necessary now, and, it's, and it will always be necessary but I w wonder, what are the things that you learned being in community with Black poets up, a, a, up and coming during that time and that revolutionary movement that you, you think is important for young people to know about now, young poets to know about now? I learned that Black people are poetry themselves. We are poetic. 
And poetry is just not just confined to what you write on a page. Poetry is the way we walk, the way we talk, the, the, and the attitude that we bring into the situation. We are so poetic until we don't even understand the value of our poetic existence. Everything we do has a poetic flair to it. And I discovered that by when the last poets were first getting started, David Nelson, who was the brother who actually had the idea of putting this group together, he told me that he put my name and Gylan Kane's name on a list to read poetry, and it was about a month after King had been assassinated. And he said, we're going to read some poetry at Mount Morris Park on Malcolm X's birthday. I was very excited because I was going to do something in Harlem for the first time other than whatever I had done in church. But at the same time, I was intimidated because I always saw black folks as a tough crowd to please. And I kind of felt like trying to perform in Harlem would be like trying to perform at Amateur Night at the Apollo. If they don't like you, the same man will come and snatch you up the stage. So I wasn't certain as to how I was going to prepare myself to get on stage and do something that would be appealing. And at the same time, I wanted desperately to be a part of the Black Power movement because as far as I was concerned, they had killed the civil rights movement when they killed Dr. King. And the poetry kind of saved my life in a sense. But because of my intimidation of the fact that I was going to read poetry in Harlem and I didn't know how I could write something to be appealing, I did the best thing I ever did, and I still do it. I came to Harlem. I walked around. I listened. I observed. And poetic phrases were flying out of the mouths of people who I was listening to. And one of those phrases was, what's your thing, brother? And it was, a lot of times our songs mirror our lives. At the time, the hit song was, it's your thing, do what you want to do, by the Ozzy Brothers. But the brothers in the movement were saying, what's your thing? Thing was like a revolutionary pronoun. It meant, what's your affiliation with the movement? And a brother might say, I'm a member of the Nation of Islam, or I'm a Black Panther, or I'm in RNA. And different people had different, different roles that they were playing in the movement. So I wrote a poem entitled, What is Your Thing, Brother? Is it a black thing will save black women and children? I learned, most importantly, that poetry comes from the people that you're trying to write it for. What the poet does, we don't give you anything new. We give you what you already know, but we make you see it in a way you haven't thought of it before. Mm, yeah, I think that, you know, there's so much that you you and the last poets were able to instill, not just in the movement and in, in people, but other poets. And we know that Gil Scott Heron could not have written The Revolution Will Not Be Televised without having heard your poem. The poem that he heard was When the Revolution Comes. Yes, yes, yes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, some of us will probably catch it on TV with chicken hanging from our mouths. You'll know it's revolution because there won't be no commercial. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. Yeah, yeah, I'd written that, and we went to Lincoln University, and Gil Scott Hearn was the student body representative. He was the one who actually brought us on stage. And at the end of the concert, Gil Scott came to the dressing room, and he said, I want to start a group just like you guys, man. I want a group just like this. I told Gil right then, and it's in his book, by the way, I said, go for it, Gil. We want last poets all over the world. Because we wanted to create a whole movement of poets that spoke poetry that would lead you into the next phase of our lives, 
So we were saying we're the last poets because this was the last message before stuff hits the fan, so to speak. And and um, Dill was truly a, truly my brother. And people would come up to me sometimes and say things like, yeah, brother, I love the last poets. The revolution not be televised. And I know that they're confusing the two poems. It's okay. And I say, yeah, right on. I don't have time to explain to them. And then people, and then Gil told me that people would come to him and say, yeah, Gil, love your work, man. When the revolution comes, brother. And he'd say the same thing. Yeah, that's such a great story. Can you tell us the story about actually how the last poets got their name? Because I think most people don't actually know this, but I was so fascinated to learn about it. The greatest anthology done to date, as far as I'm concerned, that kind of depicts the period of the, of the 60s and that Black Power movement was an, uh, an anthology put together by, at, at that time, the same was LeRoy Jones and Larry Neal mm. was the other person. And the name of the anthology is called Black Fire. In that book, there's a poem called Towards a Walk in the Sun. And it was written by Keopetsi Kokosili. Now, no one could say his first name too well. So he was affectionately called Little Bully. Little Bully Kokosili. So Little Willie was his name. He was a short brother, but a very big brother in terms of his mindset. And a beautiful person, a nice spirit. He had a poem that talked about the horrible conditions that the brothers and sisters in South Africa had to live under the apartheid regime because they had to walk around with their IDs. If they didn't have their IDs on, they went directly to jail. And this was an ongoing nightmare for those natives of South Africa. And you could tell in the poem that he was very upset with the way his people was being treated and talked about how they were collecting taxes from these folks. It was a very upsetting poem. And he changed the font on the, in the poem to bold letters and toward the end. And he says, this wind you hear is the birth of memory. When the moment hatches in time's womb, there will be no art talk. The only poem you will hear will be the spear point pivoted into the punctured marrow of the villain and the timeless native sun dancing like crazy to retrieve rhythms of desire fading into memory. Therefore, we are the last poets of the world. So we had a creed. And what's so beautiful about that, Aja, is that we had a gig in South Africa some years ago about maybe it was during the time when Mandela was with us and Kokosili had been given a position as the Minister of Culture or something, but he had a position on the Mandela administration. Mm. And we were performing at the University of Johannesburg. The place was packed. It was, I think, 2,000 students were in the audience. It was a beautiful thing. And when we walked out on stage, it brought tears to my eyes. The entire audience did that piece that I just shared with you. Mm. This wind you hear is a birth of memory. So they knew that that had been the influence. That was a basic platform by which we named ourselves. Because David had been doing the research on what we were going to call ourselves. He read a poem called Strong Men Keep On Coming by Sterling Brown. He read a poem by Margaret Walker, My People. He read a number of poems before he decided that that was the poem that was going to give us our name. And then after he had read that poem and we had the name The Last Poets, David himself wrote a poem entitled The Last Poets. We're here to turn tears into spears, which I thought was a, a wonderful poem as well. But we actually got our name from Kokosili's poem, Towards a Walk in the Sun. Mm, that's such a beautiful story. I'm so glad that we got to share that with people. 
so much of our history as poets and Black poets has been lost and has not been taught in schools, et cetera. So it's up to us to really make sure that our young people learn about it and that our communities know that at the same time that MFA programs were being created, at the same time, Black poets all across the country and writers and, and thinkers and theater performers were workshopping in homes and in basements and coffee shops and you had Obasi in Chicago and you had the Watts uh, Prophets in L.A. You had, you know, Amiri Baraka and you guys and, and what you all were doing in, in New York. Like there was this movement that was happening of organizing the people around art, around poetry, which was so intentional. And while movement is so crucial and critical to our lives as Black people, one of the things that I think gets lost on our movement spaces is the role that art plays, not just in the sense of politicizing and getting us to think, you know, in this very, you know, militant sort of way. But art, I think, also gets us to be full human beings, to honor what we are going through together. I guess what I would ask you is what role do you think art plays in organizing our mental health as well as our strategic response to state violence and the issues that we're facing at large politically. Art is the the lifeline of our existence. We are natural artists, and art takes place in so many aspects, in the way we cook our food and the clothes we put on our body and the paintings that we do, the poems that we write, the music that we do. And and when you look at uh, art, when you look at poetry, I mean, it wasn't necessarily trying to make a militant out of us as much as trying to enhance our way of life, our culture. I mean, that's what art does. It kind of makes this clear statement. I'm alive and well, and I believe in God. That's all you're saying when you're participating in art. Anytime you're a creative artist, you are actually trying to have a conversation with God or whatever level you refer to God as. Even for those people that say they don't believe in God, you're imitating God right now by being a creative artist because that's what God is. That's the force of God as far as I'm concerned. Is his creation. We are part of that creation. We, and, and our creation is nothing less than artistic. And so we, and we simply reflect that in our day-to-day lives. And without art, we are dead. It's like being on a desert with no water. I mean, we really have got to respect the fact that art makes everything live. Even dead things come to life through art because that's what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to bring out the very essence of the best of a human being. You have to express your feelings, and art is that avenue that does that. If you don't have a way to express your feelings, you become constipated inside, and you blow up. You think you even have bad thoughts about taking your life. Your life must be shared. Art is one way to share your life, and whatever you think life is all about, that's the best way to do it. And it doesn't have to be writing poetry. It doesn't have to be singing a song or writing a book. It could be just making a sweet potato pie. It, it could be sewing something. There are so many ways that we need to express ourselves. And this society that we're living in is so caught up with dollars and cents. What makes money? I, people ask me, somebody came in here and said, hey, man, how much did you charge for, for, for this painting? I, I mean, I can't charge you for a painting. I'm not a painter. I'm doing this for therapeutic purposes. I mean, if you enjoy it, you like it. I mean, like, listen, my ex-wife came over here and she just took a couple pieces. She says, I want this put up in my house. My son, Evan, he took seven of my paintings. He's got his house decorated with it. I'm, I'm amazed and I feel very, very honored because 
I'm just learning how to do this. This is all brand new. But it is an expression that gives me a great deal of peace and comfort. And I definitely cherish it. Art is vital. Without art, your heart will stop beating. Mm, mm. Oof, a word, a word. Uh, yeah, that is, I, I mean, that's definitely, I, I'm, I would not be here. Art saves my life every day, every single day. Because of the, the state of the country and the way that we, the system commodifies everything, you know? Um, right. I think that it's really unfortunate because there's these beautiful things about social media and expression and people putting their stuff online and trying to reach people. And then there's like young people whose whose art is suffering because they're trying to produce and produce and produce and share and share and create content and do this and do that. And so they don't actually really understand what creation I think is about anymore. They lose the sense of, of what it means to create and why they're creating. And so I wanted to to see what advice would you give to young artists coming up about keeping the integrity of making art and keeping your your dignity in how you make art. Everything we do should be done with integrity. My advice is that, first of all, let's let's take hip-hop. Since hip-hop is still big on the scale when it comes to our young people, hip-hop should be a Rolls Royce of, a, of an art form because you got all the space to say all these words with a fat beat behind it, but we're saying nothing. We're wasting time talking foolishness, talking about petty things, talking about bitches and hoes and things and money and and when values should be shared. And you could be funky sharing values. You could still use have all the funk in the world, but we need to learn patience and determination. We need to learn how to persevere. We need to learn how to pay attention. We need to learn how to concentrate. We need to learn how to focus. There are so many things that could be taught through our art form, we are creative geniuses. We took European instruments and created a whole genre of music called jazz. I know Mozart and Beethoven, all those characters are rolling over their graves when they hear what John Coltrane and them have done with, with classic tunes that they considered great symphonic pieces. The fact is that we have we have art at our, as a major weapon in our lives for the good of us. And it should be used, it should not be trash. I, there are quite a few people, I'm working with young people who will come to me. For example, there's a young man in Philadelphia. He wanted to do something that was a salute to the ancestors. When he told me that he wanted to do something that dealt with the ancestors, I said, by the way, I said, that is what I'm talking about. If you pay respect to your ancestors, that's like you're paying respect to yourself and you're giving values that we need to have. These values aren't talked about. And so he said, well, I would like for you to write a poem dealing with that and to go along with what I've said. So I wrote a poem and he came over to my house and he filmed it and he's got a video working right now. But there's so much that could be done. This is this is a moment when we really need to recognize what love is. Love is not just a word, it's an action. And we need to show that in every possible way. We got people that are suffering from depression. Depression will take you out quicker than a virus. And, and when we know that there's somebody around that we are familiar with or maybe don't even know that well, but they're depressed and not happy, we need to reach out. Because if we're not happy, the best way that you solve your unhappiness is to reach out to somebody else. Get your mind off of yourself. Mm-hmm. Think about somebody else. And that will help you relieve your tension. Because now you, because you, when you're depressed, you're caught up like in a ball 
all within yourself, and you can't see anybody else. Your, your vision is cloudy. Everything is just about you and your pain when the whole wide world is going through pain and suffering, and we need to reach out to each other. We have always been a sociable people that cared for one another. Unfortunately, they have not viewed us like that on the TV and the movies. They always show us tearing each other apart, stabbing each other in the back. When that is not the lot of us, if that were the case with us, we would not be here. We have helped each other in more ways than we can imagine. Mm. When, when Sister Sadie makes a sweet potato pie and she lives on maybe the 12th floor in the project, she might bring some downstairs to somebody on the 10th floor just so they can try it out. That's exactly what we need to do. Share that sweet potato pie. Share, the, share those, those good things with each other. Look out for one another. And it's not difficult. It's not hard. But many of us get into our little shells and we try to actually avoid being connected when that is definitely anti-human. That's not the human way to be. And hip-hop can set the tone for us to share and love and not be corny. I know that everybody wants to be funky. Everybody wants to be slick and have some swag. You can have all those values portrayed and have swag and funk and slick. All that could be in it. But we need to share values that will be wholesome, that will help us appreciate each other and ourselves much more. And it's not something that we need to just look at like it's a little thing. No, that's a very big thing. We need to recognize that we're sitting on top of the world with our creative genius. Use it wisely so that the world will not perish. Mm, yes, 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 yes. I, well, I want to ask you, what are some of the um, lessons that were passed on to you that you think ought to be passed on to our children or on to those who come after us about care and about wellness? You know, some of the things that maybe you saw within the community that, that even if we didn't have money, we still looked out for each other. We still found ways to take care of each other that you would like to bestow upon the, the next generation. Uh, first of all, I was raised by parents who believed in having uh, something to take care of yourself, who grew their own collard greens and grew corn and tomatoes and peppers. So if we wanted to eat some fresh vegetables, we just go out in the yard and pick it. And, and you can't beat that. That's like, that's, that's, that's really living. I'm eating fresh vegetables that we grow. And that's important. We don't grow anything. We look forward to going to the store and buying stuff that Lord knows how, how long it's been there. I mean, so we need to get back to the organic way of doing things. We need to get back into the soil. That's very important. Um, uh, there, there are all kinds of viruses going around from HIV to the COVID. There's all bunch of viruses. And sometimes... You, we can be sick and not even realize it. You might see a change in your actions in your body and not even recognize where it's coming from. And, and, and there are things that we do, we abuse ourselves too often. We got folks that want to abuse the, the idea. Listen, I like to smoke herb, but you don't wake up in the morning smoking a joint. There is a time and a place for every single thing. Mm. And, and we have to recognize that. Discipline is still required. And, and we need to employ some discipline. There are a lot of people who frown upon that. They see like discipline is somebody hanging over them with a big strap ready to whoop their butt. No, discipline keeps you in order, keeps you in check, and it allows you to appreciate the very best of life in a wonderful way. If you just take every single sweet, sweet thing that you see and eat it, you're going to end up with sugar diabetes. 
You need to learn how to just step back and recognize, I want to be here and my body is valuable and it needs to be taken care of like it's something important. I shouldn't trash my body. Just like what we said about mouths is very important. We need to weigh our words before we just blurt out things that could hurt other people, mm. ultimately hurt ourselves as well. So it's a certain kind of consciousness that goes beyond the political realms of being a black person, recognizing that I'm black and I'm proud. No, let's start out with I'm a human being. And being human means that I should respect what Mother Nature has provided. I should respect the trees, the flowers, and all other living things around me. I mean, recognize your humanity before anything else. The black and the white and the gay and the straight, all those things are actually tags. There's only one race here. It's a human race. When are we going to promote the humanity of us? And that humanity of us requires some discipline. It requires some love. It requires some sharing. These are the values that we need to promote in our raps and our songs. I remember back in the day when I was growing up, man, there was nothing like a good love song. Smokey Robinson made Motown special because he wrote some phenomenal songs, love songs. We don't hear enough love. We need to hear more love songs. We need to have more love songs in our lives. We need to know that this is a part of who we are. We are lovers. We're not killers. We're not murderers. We're people who care. And we have a phenomenal capacity to love. We even love our enemies, which, of course, many people think is crazy. But love can be a strong weapon, and you cannot defeat love. My advice to all my young artists, my young rappers, and everything else is to learn how to love yourself and share that love with others. Oh, Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Bobs. That's really good. I am going to close out the last question I have for you is about sound and what sound or sounds resonate deeply with you that bring you a peace of mind or a sense of calm that make you feel well, make you feel whole, make you feel at peace. Jazz, 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 jazz. I love jazz. Uh, Speak like a child, uh, maiden voyage, Herbie Hancock. I mean, give me some jazz. That music was made for you to think by. I've told principals in schools where I've worked here in the city, if they were to pump jazz in the hallway while the kids are changing classes or while the kids are in the in the bathroom or while they're eating lunch, they would see a different kind of kid after a while because it has an effect. You feel it. And that's what sounds do. And the sound is vital to our existence. I love jazz and I said jazz initially because it takes all those European instruments and gives you a sound that all those guys that created the the saxophone and the clarinet and all that had no clue that you could get those sounds out of those instruments. Mm. But they didn't have the broad view of life or this, how, how should I say, they weren't left with their souls to define who they were. When you when you strip away all the other stuff and the only thing you're left with is your bare soul, you can come up with jazz mm. as well as as well as other things that will help you survive a human experience. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That is the heart of everything I believe and stand for. And I want to thank you for putting words to something I feel so deeply as an affirming code or ethic. And I, I admire you. I'm inspired by you. I love you. I always am so grateful that I had you 
in my life, I feel so lucky and spoiled. And so, you know, I try my best to try to spoil others by sharing you with the world. And just thank you. Thank you for choosing your purpose and your calling and teaching so many of us how to be and how to love ourselves so ferociously. Well, thank you. I want to thank you, Roger, because you've been you've been a real champion as far as I'm concerned. And I'm just very happy that you've been of a mindset to try to bring the put the dots together and help us elevate ourselves to the next level. Thank you for your participation in life, baby. Mm. I love you, Pops. Yeah. I've only been able to do what I can because I know you got my back. Yeah, that's it, baby. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. All right? All right. Speak soon. All right, baby. Peace. Bye.